0: Gola is an emergency room and trauma nurse at a hospital in Toronto, and she 's been on the show a few times over the last number of years. now more and more people are coming to emergency because of their mental health and/or substance use, which Aram says is partly due as we know to increased stress people are experiencing because of the cost of living, losing a job, homelessness. We're also going to talk about diversionary services to keep people out of emergency rooms, and that includes Niagara's mobile crisis rapid response team, or MCRT, Coast, and the Niagara Health Peer Support Program. Erin, I okay. know that you're you're experiencing a a real increase in the number of people coming in with mental health issues and uh, substance abuse issues that in more than you've seen in the past, can you talk a bit about that and, and what's happening in that area?
1: Well, I think that there's a high surge of mental health cases that are entering into emergency departments nowadays, more than usual uh, since pre pandemic.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: well, A lot has changed throughout uh, the last several years. Um, Job loss, managing family issues. It could be personal loss, loss of a family member, um, difficulty coping with um, stress. Um, There's a lot of financial and economic pressures in, 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 in the market these days and in the environment. So there's high inflation. It's difficult, especially if people have job loss, for example, and if there's high inflation, then it's difficult for them to cope. Um, they may resort to substance use or um, just the exacerbation of their current mental health may um, take a very high peak for them. Um, and so, you know, if they have job loss and there's high um, economic issues going on or high inflation, they won't be able to pay their rent, for example, or get basic necessities such as food and groceries. So coping is very difficult. So that's just one example. Now, if they do try to call um, a mental health uh, resource or support line, or they try to go to a outpatient mental health uh, clinic, they will refer them directly to the emergency department. Or most individuals, because the emergency department is a public access, that is the first point of entry, so a lot of individuals will just resort directly to the emergency department. And I think this is why we're seeing such a high surge. But it's not only that. It's not only the high surgeons or high flow and volume of patients with such cases coming in. It's also um, the lack of resources that a lot of hospitals have, which is a dedicated space to interview and um, treat patients.
0: Uh, there's also a lack of, of beds. So there's... Yes. at what level of uh, symptoms presentation of mental health or substance abuse situation, is, is there a threshold where you say, okay, this person needs to be admitted?
1: So for example, if someone overdoses and they overdose on a high amount of medication Um, They have to look at factors such as if it was intentional or non-intentional. If it's intentional, the physician would have to um, apply a form on them, so they'd they'd be formed, meaning that because the individual was a harm to themselves, the physician is taking matters for patient well-being and concern, so they would be admitted in hospital, and, of course, they'd have to be medically cleared before they see psychiatry. Um, It could also be um, the ramifications of a heavy overdose, such as affecting their breathing or, or affecting their level of consciousness. So that is definitely something that we cannot um, discharge a patient back into the community. They would have to stay within hospital and obtain resources. And until they progress to being better, then based on the physician's discretion, can they be discharged home? It's even similar with non with m- mental health cases that are, that are not Um, overdose related. So someone with acute psychosis, um, someone that is a harm to themselves with um, that are presenting with some very serious um, symptoms of uh, wanting to harm themselves or harming others. um, It could be very violent behavior. And of course, this applies to anyone of any age group Um, until they're fit to be discharged back into the community and of course that's based on the physician's discretion that's when they can be sent back home or discharged home otherwise if they have such um, symptoms where they have um, race heavy racing thoughts, for example or or heavy making heavy threats um, to themselves for self-harm or or threats to others or presenting with violent behavior then that is not an individual that can be discharged back to the community that is an individual that would probably have to be staying for more monitoring, more assessment. And of course, based on the physician's discretion, they would decide what the next plan of care or the next steps are for that patient.
0: You brought up a couple of things. Um, one is that down here, we have, oh, you, you were talking about people who um, may be in a violent situation uh, and there's a, they, they go to a clinic. Um, outside of the hospital. Uh, so in, in looking at it from Niagara's perspective, we have a couple of things here. We have a mobile rapid crisis response team, mcert and that puts a mental health professional um, therapist in a cruiser with a police officer. And that is a cruiser that goes to those kinds of potentially violent emergency situations with an idea of diversion from hospital and diversion from jail. And it's been really, really, really successful. In And there's not that many cars. I can't remember how many cruisers. I think there may be, I don't know, 10 region wide. It's been very, very successful in keeping people out of hospital and out of the jail system. And do you do you have a sense, because I know these kinds of these kinds of programs are not yet province-wide, but is this the kind of thing that could help alleviate what you're seeing in the emergency room?
1: Well, absolutely, yes. It, it's definitely something that can help alleviate the pressures and, and stress off of emergency departments, and of course with hospitals because of admission rates and so forth. I think that with a team like that, um, they can kind of determine if the patient is suitable, you know, to to remain within the community and if they can de-escalate whatever is going on and there's different ways or different strategies of, you know, maintaining, um, you know, maintaining um, stress-free environments or would they have to be taken into the hospital? So it's kind of like the team is inter-collaborating there and they're trying to figure out ways, okay, do we, you know, are they good enough to stay at home or can they just go for mental mental health outreach out in the community or do we actually have to physically bring them into the emergency department? I think that it's definitely a step forward. I think that's a step forward. And I think it's um, the beginning. I think that can be the beginning of um, trying to avoid such a high influx of patients in emergency departments.
0: Yeah, and then we also have... Um it gets kind of confusing because there there can be a lot of services that people can access. So it does get a little confusing, but we also have a team called coast and it is the team that is sort of one step down in crisis relief from the MSER team, which is, which is crisis. It's nine one one coast is, is again, it's a, a healthcare worker a mental health care worker in a a cruiser with a police officer, but they're going to a situation where they can say, okay, let's sit down and talk about what you need going forward. You need to be able to talk to um, someone about housing. You need to, we need to get you directly in touch with a therapist. And so that's working on a much more sort of holistic level, which is recognizing that it's a person that does not have to go to hospital who previously may have said i don 't have anywhere to go, and the i don 't have anywhere to go and i 'm in feeling i 'm in crisis means the emergency room so that 's another another you know successful program we have down here because it is so hard to navigate the the health system regardless of what illness you have it 's just hard to navigate sometimes because there's there's you know so many um, uh, avenues to to getting health care. The other thing that we have down here that I wanted to ask you about, because this goes directly to triaging people in emergency rooms and having that team, you know, have the time to go over and and do the assessment. And we have a peer support program here, and it's uh, it's it's people with lived experience, whether it's mental health or or substance use, and they're in emergency rooms. And they will hook up with someone, You know, as soon as someone comes in for, uh, uh, to admission, the admission people will sort of look and say, okay, we need to um, get you uh, connected with one of our peer support workers who are here right now in emergency room. And the idea with that is that they will help them understand what the next steps are, who they're going to see and what's going to happen. Do you, uh, have you seen that at work in, in the hospitals, Virginia, I you know of uh, programs like that, and do you think it's helpful?
1: Um, I don't think I've encountered personally per se a, a peer support program. Um, am I for it? I think it can definitely help. I think that when you have someone that's at uh, the layman level They can kind of understand what the other person is going through, but they can also kind of give direction in terms of resources. The only thing is, is that I think that more healthcare professionals should be involved in this aspect of care, just because if a peer, and like I said, a peer support program is an excellent idea, but sometimes they may not know all the answers because some of the things may require intervention from a healthcare professional from that standpoint. So um, I think it's, I think it would appear support program would be good for general inquiries or for um, um, non-escalated situations or, you know, just for individuals that want resources. Um, Because getting access to resources can definitely help individuals it can it can help give them a sense of direction in terms of where they need to go and what steps they need to take, but I don't think that is applicable to all situations.
0: Yes, yes, and and uh, the peer support program here does not ever recommend that somebody leave hospital. It's more that they they're there to stay with the person to help them understand, uh, you know here's what's going to happen. Here's the process. You're, we're going to wait here. It may take some time. Uh, you know, a nurse may come over first and ask you some questions and then they'll talk about resources that might be available. So there, there's never any, any indication or any suggestion that that the peer support worker would kind of triage and say, yeah, you know what? I don't think you need to be here. So let's go and I'll hook you up with the people. The idea is that, that they, um, they connect. And and if the person is um, admitted to hospital that the peer support worker still kind of stays connected with them in hospital, when they're leaving hospital, that same person will say, okay, you need housing because you have nowhere to go except the street. So I'm going to connect you with the, the person who can help you get housing. So that's sort of, of, of what they do. And the idea is to alleviate stress on, on you and at the same time provide a safe place or a safe feeling for someone who might leave the hospital because they're frightened and that weight is, is you know, too much for them.
1: I think that can also be of great assistance to um, crisis workers that work really hard um, to provide resources for patients And I think that can also be of great assistance to, kind of similar to the level of social work as well. So I mean, I think that um, you know having this peer support program is of great, um, it's greatly beneficial um, to not only the patients but also to help with um, the stress and the um, the high number of patients that our teams also um, have to. information for.
0: Yes. Uh, so l- l- that sort of takes us logically to the what is the staffing level like at hospitals now? Uh, it was just so horrible during COVID and you you guys were working multi, multi, multi-shifts back to back to back. And um nursing staff were leaving the profession. So where are we today with with that situation?
1: Um, I still think that we are having a high shortage, a high number and shortage of nursing staff, but also um, other professionals that are available. I think that it's definitely a lot larger in number than compared to pre-pandemic times.
0: So, Okay, so it's just, it's continuing to increase is it is it like the pandemic just wore them down and just made them put their their head in a place where it said this is not what I bought into when I became a nurse.
1: It's it's a number of factors. So I mean staffing shortages have been ongoing for quite some time. However it hasn't it wasn't really it wasn't a very heavy focus until the pandemic. And I think that a lot of people had a fear of contracting the virus and bring it home to their loved ones. Just the fear and the stress of seeing people really, really sick was was not a, was not what a lot of people were ready for. I don't think a lot of us were actually ready or prepared for this pandemic. It was definitely a sudden onset. Um, I think that you know there's also other reasons too. There's individuals that left the profession. There's um, individuals that decided to retire early. Um, that moved away that went into a different department that um, did not require such a high level of care and acuity. Um, those are just a few examples of what contributed to the shortage. But also, it's, it's not only that, there's, you know, there's individuals that you know, every, everyone has a life outside of their professional life and you know, um, everyone is fighting a battle that we have absolutely no idea about and healthcare professionals um, are in, are people, too, who have their, you know, that have that some have mental health, um, you know, conditions as well, like anxiety or depression. And so that may, you know, the stress and strain of the pandemic may have exacerbated that condition for them. Um, it could be, you know, personal family issues. And the other things that add on to it are, you know, th- there's a number of additional issues such as, which I'm sure you're quite well aware of, I think a lot of individuals are aware of, Was Bill 124, um, equitable pay. Um, You know, it's just a number of issues that keep adding on um, that um, may have caused a lot of the turnover. And I think that if they try to introduce more incentives, um, whether it's um, economic or non economic wise, I think that would be some of the solutions to our problem to retain. Um, the current nursing force, or the current staffing force in hospitals.
0: Well, and bringing new new nurses into the profession, I guess I don't know whether the numbers at nursing school schools have also decreased because the the nursing pr- profession isn't looking quite as good as it used to. Not like you said, it's not just the work, but also the respect you're getting from, from government and, and, and a response to uh, staffing and salaries and so on that show respect for the work that you do. Now, what about, sorry, I was going to say, what about, and I should know the answer to this, but has there been any change in nurses coming into hospitals who are coming from outside of Canada and they haven't qualified for um canadian um certification but they are as skilled as they need to be
1: Um, so from what i understand internationally educated nurses can definitely alleviate the aid um, or it definitely aid um the the gaps that we have currently within our within our staffing shortage but it is defi- it's, a, it's quite a process because they would have to look at credentials. They may have to undergo some testing, simulations, possibly write another uh, licensing exam. So it's quite a process. It's a process that that's, um, is quite lengthy. Um, is it possible for them to expedite that process? Uh, It could be if it's if it's definitely an emergency need, they could possibly look at other alternatives and options to expedite that process so that they can bring more uh, nurses in to alleviate that shortage.
0: What do you um, what do you need from the public? because I, I i I'm not sure, but again, the public was so on side, you know, with frontline workers, frontline workers, frontline workers when we were in a, the serious pandemic. What do you need from the public now? Are you seeing the same level of support, um or has it changed?
1: So I think that there's there's two sides to that. So, yes, in the beginning, we saw. Um, a lot of support from the public where they were praising and trying to support healthcare workers as best as possible. But then you saw a lot of backlash from the community where there were anti-masters and anti-vaxxers and, you know, you had a lot of protests coming outside of, you know, protesters coming outside of hospitals, um, you know, protesting outside of the hospital in Toronto, but in other cities as well across the province. So, you know, it was kind of like the support was there, but then it's like you're biting the hand that feeds you, so to speak. And also the assault of healthcare workers in emergency departments or even from protesters towards healthcare workers that were entering buildings. Um, You know, you also saw the trucker convoy. So it's kind of like you know, you're seeing the support that was there, but then all of a sudden it's like a backlash towards the healthcare community. So I think that there needs to be a better understanding. And I think there needs to be more, um, I think there needs to be more community education and understanding with what's going on. Um, I do also think that, you know, like, I do understand, and we do understand that it's very difficult, you know, when you have loved ones or where you yourself are unwell and you're coming to the hospital. But I think that, you know, being kind and, and being supportive doesn't take very much out of a person. And I think that, you know, coming in and, um, you know, assaulting emergency staff members is not the answer. Um, we do ask the public to be to continue their support as it is very difficult on both ends of the spectrum to continue their support to try to understand and be patient with us as we are doing our very best to tend and continue to the needs of patients and their families but the entire community as well um, What I also do think we need to educate individuals on is um, the use of um, hospital, Uh, resources, for example. So, I think we need to understand and we need to educate individuals the understanding of when to use an emergency department, when is it appropriate to come into an emergency department and utilize their services. So, for example, having a stroke-like symptom, absolutely. Chest pain, absolutely. Um, Just, you you know, our couple of, or, or, you know, someone that was suddenly walking and talking, but just not, just, suddenly declining within a number of days, okay, we can understand that. These are just a few examples. It doesn't cover everything. But um, minute issues could be addressed at a walk-in or at urgent care or even using the option of telehealth or virtual medicine services. So I think that you know having these options put out there can also not only lessen the burden in hospital systems, but can also impact and make individuals in the community understand when is it best to use services at a clinic versus at a hospital emergency department.
0: Thanks for, uh, for talking to me again. It's always good chatting with you.